Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. I'm so excited about Thursday coming around. I actually refer to today as Tuesday. It's not Tuesday. It's Monday. By the way, one more time, happy birthday to Jose uh, out in Arizona. Good friend. Uh, hope you got spoiled uh, by your wife uh, and showered with the uh, all the gifts that you deserve because uh, you do uh, deserve it. Um, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line. Welcome in a good friend of the show. a good friend of mine. Um, all the way from San Diego, California, there is isn't a more beautiful place on the face of the earth. I defy anybody to argue with me about that. Uh, we're going to go talk right now to Rich Ornberger, former NFL offensive lineman, uh, played for the Patriots, played for the Chargers, among some other teams. Rich, thank you so much for joining us in the huddle. How are you doing, my friend? Really good, Vinny. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, and uh, I, I, I hit you up today. Uh, sorry about the short notice, but... You know, um, today represents the first day of day th- of, of uh, the phase three of OTAs across the NFL, the offseason program. Uh, it's a pretty big day. I know it's kind of a small step along the way, but it is a step uh, in building the foundation. And I wanted to talk to somebody that's actually been through all of this to find out what the heck really happens this time of year as you're phasing into phase three where you're out there 11 on 11 seven on seven all that good stuff offense defense not football football but as close to football as we're going to get this time of year what exactly is going on right now uh, in otas rich otas are <laughs> to be to speak frankly um it is basically something to cure the off-season blues for coaches <laughs> you know because if if you keep these guys too far away from their chess pieces, they start to get anxious. They start to get the shakes. So it, it really is for the coaches more than it is for the players from the standpoint of scheming things and thinking through some things. But let's be very honest with each other. You have a huge amount of turnover in the league year after year. You're trying to catch up younger players to the speed of the game, to the in-depth um, nature of the pro playbook because now you don't have to attend 15 course credits per semester or 19. You know, now you're, you're just studying football. That's what you're, you're, you're learning what it means to be a pro. We got a lot of first and second year players that get a lot from this, uh, faces, names, uh, familiarity with the facilities, with the coaches. And sometimes even free agents, you know, who come into the program for the first time, this is the part of the phase where you really get to see how, you know, all the pieces coming together, like you mentioned, in those seven-on-seven drills, um, you know, running routes against defenders. And 11-on-11, it's not live. You're not hitting anybody. You're, you're wearing jerseys and shells at most. And um, those are, like, really light shoulder pads and, and you're just, you're just walking through things and trying to do an up-tempo pace on things just to make sure everybody understands their assignments, everybody's where they're supposed to be. And, it, and it's really kind of like if, if training camp is, you know, the real deal, you know, hard-hitting practice, this is like dress rehearsal. We're talking to Rich Ornberger, the former uh, NFL offensive lineman. You can follow him uh, at Ornberger, and that's O-H-R-N-B-E-R-G-E-R. Uh, he's played for the Patriots. He played for um, 
Penn State University. Of course, I can't forget that. The Cardinals and the Chargers. <laughs> uh, he's also a host right now on Extra 1360 in San Diego. Fox Sports Radio uh, also calls games for San Diego State University football uh, and is an uh, NFL analyst over at uh, NBC San Diego. Uh, so Rich covers all bases. And Rich, you know, when we talk about install and offensive, you know, uh, uh, putting your offense in, putting your defense in, um, I know there's a lot of classroom work going on right now as well. But to what level are teams, especially in the Raiders uh, situation, let's say, because it is a new offense, it is a new defense. How much install is going on uh, right now? And, and, you know, how much teaching part of it plays into this? You know, the, the, the biggest thing that you can get out of this is two, twofold. One is the install, like you said, just familiarity with the playbook, but also camaraderie amongst your teammates. You know, this is a phase in the program where you're starting to see, you know, who retains what. And the older players, they have all this stuff down. I mean, not just veteran players. I mean, guys who have been in the system for a little while. Uh, but in a situation like the Raiders are in with a brand-new head coach, a new offensive regime, you know, some of the vocabulary is going to change. They're going to put in new wrinkles. You know, so this is more important for the Raiders uh, this offseason than it would be for a team, you know, like the Patriots, you know, who have had the same coaching staff in place forever, like the Chiefs, who have had Andy Reid's offense in the, in, in the playbook forever. But, you know, places like Denver, or Las Vegas or Jacksonville with new blood at the top and a new offensive scheme coming in, um, you know, new players at different positions of importance, like Devontae Adams in the case of the Raiders. Like, you, you really need to catch these guys up and get everybody on the same page. And so that is definitely the work that's being done right now in Salt, but also just becoming familiar with each other and getting comfortable within the system together. Rich, um, we mentioned the uh, the mental side of it and the studying and the learning uh, part of it. Uh, I think we're we, we've come to a point, um, you know, whether it's teaching in an actual classroom, whether it's history or whatever, uh, to to write on down to football that people learn differently, and we have to respect that and appreciate it. Some people you tell it to them and they hear it. Some people have to see it. Some people you have to show them on video. Some people you have to walk out onto the field and walk them through it. So it takes patience sometimes, but everyone does learn differently, and I think it behooves coaches to understand that and appreciate it. For you, how, how did you absorb information best, would you say? It's a great question. I, I was a detailed note-taker, you know, to start with. So I, I felt like, for me personally, if a coach said something to me, that was part of it, just hearing it the first time. But, you know, in terms of learning the book, you know, it reinforced my knowledge by writing it all down. And then, really, when, when it took hold, when you started to develop muscle memory, was when you started walking through and then you started actually running through these plays and you started doing things at an up-tempo speed where you could feel where you needed to be spatially. And so for me, there's nothing that replaces that. I had the great fortune of playing for offensive line coaches who really understood the importance of standing up, getting out of the meeting room, you know, turning off the film sometimes and actually walking through assignments because that stuff is, an integral part of the learning process. It doesn't matter where I played, what, what the playbook, the playbook's the same. It's just learning what the, the terminology was to, and, and turning that into physical action. So every offensive line has a myriad of calls. You know, you're using the different calls to say the same thing. 
So it's almost like teaching a dog, right? You know, if your command is sit, stay, that could mean something completely different in a different offense, even though it makes perfect sense for sit to mean sit and stay to mean stay. This offense, these are things that are completely different. Why, why is that? Nobody really knows, but you have to learn it, and there has to be a physical reaction to each one of these line calls. So for me, it was really getting up on my feet and walking through it and taking action to words that help reinforce it the most. And that's what they're doing in Phase 3 for sure. I'm glad you mentioned the offensive line because it is a, uh, a, a big subject here in Las Vegas with the Raiders. It wasn't a strength by any stretch of the imagination last year. Uh, in fact, there were times where it was a weakness. Um, but what was very interesting, Rich, is that the Raiders didn't really do too much to address it uh, in the offseason. They didn't really go out and make any big signings to, to reinforce the offensive line. Uh, they added a third-rounder in Dylan Parham uh, from Memphis, uh, kind of a guard-center type player. And then in the seventh round, they brought in uh, Thayer Munford from from Ohio State. And it just feels like... Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, the new general manager and the coaching staff, took a look at what they had to work with from last year and felt like most of the answers are right here in the building. Um, And not to bend your ear too much, but when you look at the Raiders' offensive line last year, there was a plan in place with Richie Incognito at one guard, Denzel Good at the other guard, to sort of be the reinforcement for a youngster like Alex Leatherwood at right tackle and a youngster like Andre James at center, all of that blew up in the Raiders' face by the first half of the first game of the season. Richie Incognito never stepped foot on the field. Denzel Good went down in the first half of the first game. And the, the whole plan just kind of blew up in the Raiders' face. Um, and I wanted to ask you about that. For a young player like Alex Leatherwood and, to some extent, Andre James at center, how detrimental do you think it might have been that all of a sudden Alex Leatherwood, who thought he was going to play alongside uh, Denzel Good, all of a sudden is playing alongside a guy that just showed up at the end of training camp, and likewise for, for uh, Andre James. How, how detrimental do you think that was to the Raiders' offensive line progress? No, it can, it can be a detriment. There's no question about it. You know, when you're expecting to play with and communicating on a near-daily basis with throughout the offseason certain players, and then all of a sudden that rug gets tugged from out from under your feet, you know, the, the adjustment process, especially for a young player, can be difficult. But... You know, one of the things that I know about McDaniels and the staff is they're going to try to develop players. You know, there's one thing that you look at New England, and they did a great job with, is they would take scrap heap guys and turn them into pro bowlers or impact players. You know, think about guys like Danny Woodhead, who got scooped up off the scrap heap from the Jets, turned him into an impact player in that offense for years. Uh, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, who was a practice squad uh, wide re- quarterback turned wide receiver out of Kent State, you know, is, uh, is you know people discuss whether or not he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Rob Ninkovich was a special teamer, you know, second team at best defensive end, and he was a double digit sack guy by the time the Patriots got finished with him. That's the sort of thing that McDaniel's is going to try to impart in this culture is doesn't matter where you came from. doesn't matter what last year's film looks like. We're going to try to make a player out of you. And being a part of those offensive lines in New England, they really took the time to teach. You had to pass a threshold, right? You had to be athletic enough. You had to be smart enough. You definitely had to be tough. But if you checked a couple of boxes, 
and and you you showed a propensity to 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 learn and to educate yourself in the system to be trustworthy with that information to make very few mistakes and be tough enough to handle the responsibilities well then they 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 made you a starter and so i think that's going to be the goal walking in the doors to assess the talent they have to develop the talent they have and if they feel like they need to add they're absolutely going to whether it be in trade or free agency uh, last question for you, Rich. Uh, with somebody like an Alex Leatherwood, he was drafted to be a right tackle. Uh, things sort of blew up in terms of the plan. He had to move to right guard last year. It looks like he's going to get another shot at right tackle. For it, With everything that you mentioned, uh, and now Alex Leatherwood, who by all accounts has everything that you were just talking about, you know, uh, the, the intelligence, the physicality, the athletic ability, all those traits are, are there. Um, would it surprise you if Alex Leatherwood – took a step forward in his second year um, and, and, and maybe started becoming the player that the Raiders actually thought they were getting when they drafted him last year? I think it's very possible, if not likely. Look, you know, again, talented enough is the bar that you need to clear in the New England system, right? And if Josh McDaniels is looking to replicate that, which I assume he will, that's exactly what he did in Denver um, with varied results, obviously then I think that he's going to get another shot. And I think that they're going to find ways, especially if he's struggling at first, going back to tackle and reacclimating to that position, they're going to find ways to protect him a little bit. You know, you're, you, you shouldn't put a player at a disadvantage just because he was a high draft pick. You know, if he can't do it, he can't do it. You know, so if he needs a little chip help from a running back, or, or tight end in pass protection at first, you need, you need to supply that for him. Because if he can't do it, well, then what options are you left with, right? You either go to potentially a lesser talented player on the bench or you kick him down inside again, which could reshuffle the deck. And we know what that looks like. The Raiders went through a lot of that over the past couple of years. So, you, you know, you got to really try to design an offense that highlights the strengths of each player, not just in your skill position, the backfield, the outside with the receivers, but also with the offensive line. And I, I know for years and years and years they've been doing that in New England, and I imagine they're going to do more of the same in Las Vegas now because that culture is going to be carried over to Vegas with the Raiders with McDaniel's staff. Rich Orenberger, thank you uh, on short notice for coming in. I really, truly appreciate it. You always bring the, uh, the insight uh, and enlightenment, and I, and I thank you for that. Uh, take care, my friend, and we'll talk to you down the road. You got it, Vinny. Always good talking with you. Absolutely. Likewise, uh, that was Rich Orenberger. Played, uh, you know, uh, offensive line in the NFL. Uh, knows what it takes. Knows really what, what Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler and that coaching staff uh, are looking for. And I'm definitely curious on how this is all going to look for, for Alex Leatherwood. But uh, by no means am I writing the book on Alex Leatherwood after one game and the kind of a kind of a turmoil-type season in his rookie season. It'll be interesting to see where he takes it from here. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio on a Monday in the huddle, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. We are live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Quick programming note. Uh, we're giving away a half hour early today at 530 at the bottom of the hour. Why? Because it's the NBA playoffs, man. 
And uh, the NBA playoffs are coming on right after we get off. So uh, game four of the Boston Celtics-Miami Heat. Demont Cotton, who do you like tonight? Robert Williams, the Time Lord, the center for the Boston Celtics. He's not playing. Marcus Smart, also not playing. So that's the defensive player of the year. And a guy who was also on the second team, all-NBA defensive team, that's not playing. And I know that Miami's got a lot of banged-up guys. You know, basically their whole starting five is game-time decisions. They're warming up, expecting to play. But when you, when you hear all those things, you might as well pencil them in. Those guys are going to play. Yeah. So I think that Miami's going to have the edge there just because two all-defensive players for the Boston Celtics are going to be out. I'll tell you what, um, you know, and this is I don't I don't know whether it's just a bad year for for injuries or it just seems like the last couple of years um, in the playoffs we've had way more injuries than I can remember. I don't know what to put a finger on uh, to explain why, but I'll but I'll tell you what, man. Um, part of winning a championship is battling the battle of attrition and coming uh, up on the winning side of that. Uh, it just seems like so many guys, so many teams are going through, through through injuries right now, and I don't know exactly what to put my finger on it. I do wonder sometimes if uh, the the workload and the all that uh, has a has a averse effect. Sometimes I don't know because all of a sudden now you go from you know playing one way or structuring it one way to now it's like. Everybody's got to play, you know what, to the wall. Uh, and are you used to doing that? I don't know. I mean, it just seems weird and conspicuous that these last few years have been ravaged by injuries in the playoffs. Not during the regular season, but the playoffs. I feel like people say those things where it's like, oh, man, I feel like injuries are up. But you go back through history, you can maybe like every NBA champion, you can say a team that was maybe maybe right there at the cusp. Ah, man, if that one player doesn't get injured, uh, yeah, you but- can go back to the Lakers. That season where Jordan wins his first was that was Jordan was that Jordan's first title? Yes. You can correct me on that if I'm wrong. Yes. But the Lakers, they had injuries going into those finals. Not well, th- they were actually kind of a surprise team to get there to that finals. Uh there there was a year when they played there were two years for the Lakers uh where injuries really played of the week before the playoffs started in James Worthy's rookie year. It was the year that the uh, Sixers won the championship. They they swept the Lakers that year with Dr. J and Moses Malone. Um, Worthy goes down with a – he breaks his leg right before the playoffs start, and he had just started really, really playing great. Um, that was – that was, and then Norm Nixon got hurt. Uh, and then in 89, Magic Johnson and, and Byron Scott went down with uh, hamstring injuries against the Detroit Pistons. The D- Detroit Pistons won. But it just it, – it, it seems like – I don't know. It just feels like, and I've been watching the NBA for a long time. People can correct me uh, if I'm wrong, but it just seems like lately, these last couple of years, we've had more of the injuries. I'll also a- ask you this, uh, Damon. Are we? When do you think we're going to get back to a um, a league where a couple of guys dominate for a little while? You know what I'm saying? Like the like, league's too talented now. You never, you're not going to see that. Is it, again. is it too talented, yes. or is it there? I I just think there isn't that guy yet. I, I think we're in a, a little... I don't think that you're ever going to see someone be that guy. Like, like there's no Michael Jordan There's right no now. Michael Jordan, and, and it's no offense to the 90s. I know everybody wants to no, say... No, no, I'm just saying. But I, I There's am, no LeBron right now. Yes, but I am saying that even when LeBron was on his run, he's still like, okay, he had the record of, what was that, eight Eastern Conference Finals in a row? But he's still... <laughs> they made, he, yeah, they made it. But he, when he made it to the finals... Yeah, he made, he came up against some really, really good some teams. Some really good teams on the, the other Spurs, side. The Spurs, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, but I don't, I don't, 
I, I don't think we do. You ever think that there will be a player that yes. can be? Let's say because Jordan is always the standard. Jordan's Magic the, Bird. Um, Jordan, it goes Magic Bird, Jordan. Um, but for the sake of when people always Kobe say the goat, I know Shaq. that you're a Magic guy. I know because he has yeah, yeah, he has, but I'm he has legitimate the, argument. Yeah. But I'm saying when people say like, oh, the goat, like Jordan with the two three peats, right? Or be, I don't see that. I don't think there could be another team. I mean, the, the we leg- saw we almost saw it with the Golden State Warriors where they tried to. They almost had a three peat on their hands, right? But even it's it was hard, hard for them. Be, Very hard. Also, to do. like you said, injuries. Injuries, you're that. playing what I mean, you're playing more games than anybody else. And exactly after all those years. It. So I don't think there will ever be a player again, or even if he has a a good sidekick, a good one-two punch that could just be so dominant that for three years in a row, a hundred plus games in three plus seasons, that they can just go through and mow down right. the competition. And we saw that with Kobe and Shaq that they were they were a crew like that. Um I mean, like I don't, I don't know, I don't know. If we're but gonna... also in those finals, were you ever afraid that this team in the finals for that three P that the Lakers had, that they were not the favorite, and even if they were the favorite in all three, that you think that hey, this team had a chance? Did you think that that Philly team had a chance? Uh, no, it was actually more the Western Conference Finals because those Sacramento Kings teams were bad, you know what? And Tim Duncan took care of that. And the Portland Trailblazers were bad, you know what? Uh, and also the San Antonio Spurs, who would knock the Lakers out every once in a while. It was a kind of a revolving door right uh, right there uh, for a little while. And then the next crew was the Kobe, you know, Pal Gasol, Lamar Odom, Ron Artest uh, crew that came that came rolling through. So, but I just I don't know. I don't see a Kobe right now. I don't see a LeBron when he was in his prime. You know, he's thirty seven years old now. I don't see that caliber of just pure even pure just forcefulness of a, of a one player and you put one play that guy next to a couple other pretty good guys and all of a sudden championships are coming so i don't know if we're I just i think that Giannis, if chris middleton would have been healthy this year i think that they beat boston in that series i think yeah, those are the things where it's, you know if your number 2 goes down yeah. in the nba that affects the that affects the entire dynamic of the whole team it, it truly if the number does. 2 player goes down it truly does and when you say, when you talk about Giannis, is he in your mind, a Kobe or a LeBron or a Michael? I think that, and I'm not saying that, hey, if Chris Middleton's healthy, they go back and they repeat. Yeah. But I like their chances a hell of a lot more. But but what I'm saying is, do, do you think that, and I'm not, this isn't disparaging anybody. I'm looking for, I love that star, oh my gosh, the best player on the planet. Like, who's the best player on the planet right now? To me, it's Giannis. And, he, and, and is it's. Okay. All right. But is it like decidedly like, like for a while there, you knew that Michael Jordan was, you knew like the shack there for a second or two. What, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, answer me this. Well, I don't think I don't, that Jordan, he didn't win MVP every year that they won those titles, but that's, Where those, vote, but yeah. I mean, yes, but when it comes to best player in the world, sometimes it's those accolades, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they matter. Well, we know who like, yes. So for that, I know that Jokic is two time MVP, right? Right. But Giannis won the two before that. And nothing against Jokic, but. You know he's 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 still a notch below other MVPs that we've because we haven't about. seen him produce any winning, right? So that's why I'm saying that for me it's and Giannis you talk about the you talk about the number two. His number two's been sidelined for how many years? I mean, um, Whew, he might have to get some new number twos. Yeah, um, right, because it's two and three. And I don't think when we and what did we talk about with uh, with Luca, he had to have his supporting cast step up, and they have not stepped up whatsoever. Uh, even yesterday, there were open looks. They were just clanking them, and um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see w- where that goes. But yeah, I think we we have some pretty good teams right now. But I don't think we have any spec- just great team. But right to my now. point, I think that it's just too hard to be that one dominant player when every team has about two guys. That's like 
Every team has two guys that can be all-stars. Yeah, but I, I, I do have a feeling that somebody is going to come along probably pr- fairly soon. There is somebody in France that I hear is just unbelievably good. So uh, I don't think he's ready for this year's draft, but it might be next year's draft. We'll take a look at that. But uh, I love talking about it, and uh, I'm going with the Miami Heat, as you are uh, tonight. And I think that the whether the Mavericks win or not tomorrow or whenever it is they play, that series is over. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to Rich Ornberger. Thanks to Ed Graney. Thanks to uh, Rich Deitch. We'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. Enjoy the NBA playoffs. That's coming on next here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m.